Greetings, and thank you for joining us today on the Private Investigator Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Little, and I have with me my son, Wade Little, and we're going to be talking about the PI world and what a PI really does and some of the types of cases that we've worked on. On today's show, we're going to look at a case which will probably be a series of uh, shows that it covered uh, a period of a couple years and it was a major murder case, an insurance scam for murder. And one thing I learned in case was, if you're going to go meet somebody and you've got $30,000 cash on you, make sure you know who they are before you go to meet them. And I'll explain that a little later. Or make sure uh, you have a bodyguard. Yeah, uh, maybe two of them with these guys. Uh, this, this case has all the ingredients of a TV murder uh, mystery. And in fact, there's a producer now working on uh, this uh, case and the background of this case to make it into a uh, to a movie. And it's kind of got the 40s, 50s look. I was thinking about back in those days when I first started that the TV show Mannix was filming out in front of our office there on Lancashire Boulevard. And this was before the DNA and the forensics. So we're, we're going to take a look here. And I get asked a lot, how did I get involved in the investigative field? And uh, how did I get involved in cases like this? So we're going to jump in here. Wade, welcome. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing splendid. How are you? You know, I'm just wonderful. Excellent. So this case is very uh, intriguing and a, it's a murder mystery. It, it, and I, I do like the fact that it's being made into a movie because it's one of those types of cases that if you're scrolling your TV and you come upon this on a crime show, it's definitely one of those ones that's going to capture your attention. So I know that when at this time, you, you were still in a, a smaller operation. This was West Coast days, right? Yes, this was probably five or six years before West Coast. Okay. And so I guess kind of let's just start at the beginning of this. And, and how did you first come to, how did this case first come to you? Well, when I had left law enforcement and got into private investigation work, it was something I felt drawn to. And I'd had a friend that left the California Highway Patrol and went into the field, and he kind of mentored to me and went along. So I wound up moving to uh, down to Los Angeles, North Hollywood, uh, was in that area where we lived. And I had started working for a corporation there, just doing some work, not a lot. It wasn't full time. And then I found out about insurance investigative work that was more like an inspection. And what you did, you went out and visited somebody in their home, maybe spent 15 or 20 minutes there and made sure that they were really injured or really sick. And I would do sometimes eight or 10 of those a day. And in those days without the GPS, you know, it was the old Thomas guide and you were mapping things out. And I had a office it was up over a moving and storage place right off of Lancashire Boulevard. And it was just something like out of the movies. You know, you're walking through this storage warehouse. You go up these stairs at the back, and there was this mezzanine. I had a couple offices up there. And I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Oh, I've lost it now. But he let me use that. Probably I was there for about a year and a half. And as I was working on these insurance cases, one of the, the companies that I was doing this for was out of Dallas, Texas, and it was a Republic insurance company. And they happened to call me one day. I said, Phil, we've got this problem and we need you to come to Dallas and meet with us and talk about 
I, I vaguely remember because I was really young. I would, I mean, I was, I don't know if I was 12 years old or give or take or maybe right around there. But I, I vaguely remember that office and I remember walking around there. Yeah. And I just, there's a lot of stuff in there that was very interesting for a little kid to kind of check out. So, all right. So you get this call and then you fly to Dallas and you meet with them and, and how do they intro this to you? And what was their thing about this case? Well, the interesting part was this, their client had been murdered and his body was found dumped over a, a hill up in Ventura County. And actually he had been there about six weeks before the body was found. And they had an insurance policy that had been taken out on his life that, oh, it, it was only a year or so before. It wasn't that long. So this made it suspicious uh, in their mind. But in those days, and it's still pretty much the same today with all this personal rights and protecting people's identity. The insurance companies didn't work together. So if somebody had uh, multiple policies uh, on several insurance companies, they wouldn't even know it. They didn't know that at this time. They had at that point, it was like a $2 million policy, which was big for that time. And they said, we need to find out if beneficiaries of this policy had anything to do with this, you know, was this in any right. way connected? They didn't really know at that time. So was the matter of death and, and how the body was discovered, was there, did that raise suspicions or was that, it was too early to tell if it was unnatural or natural causes? It was a 22 uh, shell to the back of the head. So, right, so it was pretty obvious. <laughs> right. It wasn't a self-inflicted or an accidental death. All right. No. So, Yeah. You get the case, they give you all the information. Obviously, you get your retainer because, like any good private investigator, you get a retainer and then you start to work. So you fly back home. And what do you do then? I tell you what, I was a little scared because I was this young guy. Yeah, I had some law enforcement experience, but this was a whole different thing. And it was going to be, unfortunately, with my law enforcement experience, I had some entree to the Ventura County Sheriff's. So the first call I made was to the sheriff's office and got a hold of the detective working the case and said, I've been called to investigate this for the insurance company. And I wanted to come up and meet with you to find out, you know, what, how we can help and how we can work together in this. Excuse me. We, a good private investigator works with law enforcement. It's not like the old TV shows. You don't see those so much anymore, but it was that the private investigator was always on the outs with the local law enforcement. Well, that's not been our case at all. So when I went up and met with them, I started to say Hatfield and McCoy. One of the detectives was named uh, McCoy. And the other one was, uh, oh, I lost it right now. But we sat down and we hit it off. And I told them that we were going to be uh, working on it and we would help any way we could. So we set up a information sharing kind of generally at that point, because we didn't really know anything. And the victim was from Washington State. And all we knew was that he was a vineyard owner and a successful uh, rancher, business owner up there. And so that's where we started from, trying to put together without computers, without all this great technology we have today, what in the world happened to this man and who was behind it. Okay, so you have that meeting, you get your setup with the uh, Ventura County Sheriff's, you get information that they have, and then I'm assuming you go back to your office and 
What, you create an action plan? What do you do at this point? Well, yeah, the first thing uh, we did, we started uh, trying to put together the background on the victim. And they had told me enough that I was able to uh, gather the uh, factual data on the uh, victim and also start looking at uh, the state of Washington, where he was from, trying to find out uh, background. Why was he down here? What was he doing in Los Angeles? And how did he wind up getting dumped over a hill up in Ventura County? Why Ventura County? And uh, all these questions started a trail, which I, I talked to family members and uh, people associated with him. And I knew I would be going to Washington at some point. So I made arrangements that uh, I would be coming and uh, meet with him, try to gather information and background that we wanted to get to the bottom of this. And it was strange because the family didn't know anything about this life insurance policy. It was born to them. And that raised suspicions right there. Why would he have a policy on him if none of his business associates or if his family knew anything about it? Right. So the beneficiary was was nobody that the family knew. Yeah, it was just uh, uh, a, a guy's name, uh, last name Dickey, uh, was, uh, who is this guy? We, we've never okay. heard of him. So then when you were talking to them, I'm assuming you called them up first and talked to them and interviewed them, and then you did it in person? Uh, yes. At the same time, uh, we started uh, uh, working on where he had been staying. We were able to determine w where he was staying in uh, Los Angeles over in uh, West LA. And we started trying to build a profile around people that knew him, people that was associated in some way. And what was he doing down there? I learned from the family that he had been coming down to Los Angeles and apparently uh, looking to raise capital to expand their vineyard and their, their ranching there. There had been some financial problems and some different things going on. So he'd been coming to Los Angeles Oh, at least I think once a month and spending a week or so and working supposedly on raising uh, money from some uh, source or people that they didn't know what the sources were that he was working with. So dealing when, when you were talking with the family, they didn't know anybody by this name who the beneficiary was. They didn't know anything about the insurance policy, but you, you discovered that there was financial issues with the family business. So did that raise red flags that somebody in the family was involved with this and they were covering up what they knew or what they said they didn't know? Well, that actually didn't pop up uh, as much because when I started looking at the family and their background, this was a very upright family, uh, a very uh, religious family involved at their local church. Uh, the victim had been a family man. Uh, very involved in his church. They they were a reputable group of people, and there wasn't any indication that somehow one of them had somehow orchestrated the setup to here. One, it didn't fit the profile of them, uh, the family there in Washington. They were a ranching, farming, vineyard family that was conservative. It just didn't have any feel that this was somehow family-related. There had to be some connection to what he was doing in Los Angeles. And that's what we begin to focus on. Well, at least on the surface, because many times people, they say one thing, but they lead a different life, which 
maybe in this case, it was just the uh, the victim who was saying one thing and leading a different life. But that's something we'll find out maybe later. So you get back um, uh, after interviewing, talking to them. And so at this point, you're thinking is, okay, why was he, like he said, why was he here? What was he doing? Who was he meeting with? What's going on in LA that was so important that he's down here once a month? So what was your next step once you got back here? Well, we started, as they say, peeling away the layers of the onion. Once we found the address of where he was uh, living and staying when he was down here, he wasn't staying in a hotel. He had an apartment. And we soon discovered that there was a young lady living at the apartment also. And investigation leading into more investigation led us to her. We did quite a bit of work on her because we didn't want to approach her without enough information, not knowing if she was involved in this in some way, or she might alert people or shut them off, shut us off from them. So we did a lot of profile working in the neighborhood, working on gathering people that knew them. And we we had two, three weeks that we really focused on that. And then we set a meeting up with her. Okay, and so let me ask you this question. How old was the victim? How old was he? He was in his 50s. Okay, and how old is she? She was about 30, 31, 32. Okay, so 20 some odd years. So obviously there was, yeah, it's not, okay. That I thought that it was going to be kind of interesting, the, the age range and kind of that age-old story of the older man and the younger woman. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it's turned out she was a, a player. She had been, you know, around. I mean, she was a girl that happened to drop into this. She had been, her lifestyle had been around different men and whatever. So she was accustomed to that. So when we approached her, obviously, we were very low-keyed and, and not raising any suspicions. It was just routine. Man, we're just doing the routine investigation, checking off the boxes. We sure there's nothing wrong, but all that kind of stuff. And as we began to talk to her, she knew a lot about his uh, schedule. She knew a lot about the people that he was meeting with. And she began to tell us the story and the places they'd gone, which was a big plus for us. Some of the restaurants they'd hung out at, bar restaurant. There was one down in West LA there that was a well-known restaurant uh, chain that had a bar life. And that was a place, the Tiger what was, oh, Flying Tiger. It was a Flying Tiger restaurant down on Sepulveda Boulevard, just right south of West L.A. And so that was a big help. But she told us that he had been working on building relationships because they needed money. And they had met some people out at, in fact, one of the, the main contact was made at this restaurant. And so our focus began on that restaurant then. And we found that this was a known mob. In those days, we still had, you know, the 60s probably wiped out the mob in Los Angeles when Nick Licata was the last godfather and he was taken out. But there was still that element around. So that raised immediate suspicion by that group. And he was involved with that group. So we thought maybe we're on the right trail here. Interesting. So she appeared to be cooperating, and by all means, that she was giving you information. And did you set up surveillance on this restaurant? What did you do to try to identify people that she said that they had met with? Did she give you descriptions? How did you determine who 
if it was possible at this point, who they were meeting with. Well, she had names. It turned out those names that she had weren't uh, the prime people, but she had some names of whatever. So what I did, actually, my wife and I at that time and another one of our guys and his wife, we just went in for dinner. We started hanging out there uh, and going down and, and talking and getting to know people and not telling them who we were, what we were doing, you know, just being part of the crowd. So that's how it started as we began to look and watch and listen and uh, were able to identify some of the people that she talked about, you know, being there, excuse me, but, but we knew that there was some threads out of this restaurant and we had to pull them out and we didn't really know that we had a hold of a big rope that was going to unravel things out around the world. So how many, was this every weekend you guys were going there? I mean, obviously I was young, probably had a babysitter. I don't know. But so was it every weekend? It was a weeknight you guys were going there and hanging out and, and get, you know, hanging out with the fellas, the boys? Yeah. Oh, excuse me. It was, we would go a couple of times a week to start with. We wanted to wet our faces. We wanted to get known. We wanted to be seen as part of the crowd. And as we had kept interviewing and talking uh, to the girlfriend, uh, we learned that something very interesting as I jump ahead here. She had some information about his last day in life, which was very interesting to us. And, and this was kind of what I said in my tease on this, uh, that she had told us that during the course of all these people he was talking to, this had happened. It took over three or four months for this deal to come together. And supposedly, on that last day that she saw him, he was at their apartment. This was before noon. And they lived, oh, 15 minutes from LAX or something like that. It was close. And he got a call that the money man was coming into Los Angeles. And this money was supposedly coming from outside the country where he was going to get it. But he needed to take some good faith money to show that he was really serious. And so that was 30000 in cash. And something I've always remembered from this case, she said that when he was talking to this person he was going to meet on the phone, and the client, the victim here, almost said his name, I want to do that, said, how will I know you? And the response that he got was, oh, you don't know me, but I know you. And he went to the meeting with that on his mind. So right. there, was a, there was a lot going on out of this time, and then it began to spread out of the, the state of California. Right. So I guess maybe my last question here on this, on this episode would be, did his girlfriend, did she ever report him missing, or did she ever say, she hadn't seen this guy for weeks, hadn't heard anything from him. And the last time she saw him was he was going to make this uh, drop off and, and, and do this. So had she, did she ever say, was she curious about what happened? Did she ever talk about that? Well, I, I don't think she was surprised necessarily because he would come and go. But uh, she did make a, a phone call to the police uh, a couple of days when he didn't come back, because she suspected at that point that something was wrong. And again, her hands wasn't 
really white, but she wasn't involved in this at all. We determined as far as as to being a setup or figured him some way. But in all this unraveled into one of the largest murder for hire schemes at that point that had ever happened. And on the next episode, we'll tell you some of those events and some interesting situations that we had pop up. That's right. And so a lot of stuff you would think about that you would see in the movies really happened on this case. So it's really interesting. And I, I recommend tuning in next week and telling your friends about this episode, especially and having them catch up and tune in next time. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, Wade, do you want to let the people know how they can help us? And, and we do appreciate that and also how they can contact us. Well, I mean, you can help us by hit the subscribe, hit the like button and and also tell your friends and your family about the show. We also have an email address. It's plittlepi777 at gmail.com. You can send us questions, comments. We respond to those. So maybe you have a situation you want some information, some help on. We might be able to do that. So the, but we can't do it if you don't contact us. So reach out to us, say hi, whatever it may be, and we will be definitely get back in touch with you. So I guess with that being said, Dad, do you any last thoughts, closing remarks? Yes, I do. We appreciate you, our listener and viewer, and be safe until the next time. And may God bless you, your family, and may God bless America. See you soon.